Well, good morning again. It's uh, Family Discipleship Sunday, so welcome to all the children. It's good to have you in the service this morning. We're going to talk a bit about accountability. You may not know what that word means, but you experience it. In fact, you can't escape accountability in life. There's just no, there's no escaping accountability. I remember when I was only in maybe sixth grade, and I'm kind of minding my own business at home, and my mom waltzes in and announces, Kip, you owe me $175. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I owe you $175? I mean, I'm a sixth grader, right? I, I never bought anything that cost $100 even, you know? And then she pulled out a list that she'd been keeping for the last two years. Mom, I want a quarter for a Snickers bar. Yeah, they cost a quarter when I was a kid. Uh, Mom, I want to go to a Lancer basketball game, two bucks. Mom, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it was a buck here and five bucks here, and I want to go to McDonald's after the game, and here's three dollars. Yeah, you could get a Big Mac meal for three dollars back then. And, uh, and there it all was. I owed her 175 bucks. I said, Mom, I don't have a job. I don't make money. Where am I going to get 175 dollars? Then she put out her other list, chores. <laughs> she was a smart lady. Tips for parents right there. Um, I had a, when I was 12 years old, I had a job delivering papers, the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And I was a very faithful paper deliverer. I wasn't so great at collecting the money. But I'll tell you one thing that always happened is every month there was a bill from the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette which I had to pay. Finally, I quit because I was going into so much debt. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, Pastor Bruce confessed this week that uh, he decided one semester in, was it high school or junior high? Fifth oh, fifth grade. In fifth grade, he just decided I'm not doing homework. <laughs> I'm not doing homework. And then what came? the report card, right? And there was accountability at home. I remember when I was in college, when I was in college, uh, they switched from having a pay phone in the hallway for the whole hall to having phones in your room. <gasps> that was awesome, you know? My mom lived in France, so I, ca I called her one time. I, ca I could actually call France from my room. That was amazing. And when the bill came that month, there was, it, there was no charge for that call. So the next month I called twice and the bill came and there was no charge. I thought, this is great, there's a loophole in the system and I just called my mom all the time in France. <laughs> the last bill of the year, over $400. Yeah, good lessons in accountability, wouldn't you say? I, I remember a, a large part of my youth when I was young, I, I, I always had this thing because in fall, soccer training was gonna come. I played a lot of years soccer and there was always those weeks of soccer training, which I kind of dreaded, but, I, but if I didn't, I, I didn't have to worry about it in the summer if I was actually running and practicing, right? If I was actually running and practicing, I didn't have to worry about soccer training, but soccer training was coming. And it was going to show whether I had run and practiced in the summer or not. It was coming. And it was great. When I, when I ran and practiced, it was great. But oh, was it hard if I didn't. 
These are all good lessons in accountability, and we need, to, we need to have a concept in our hearts and minds about accountability because the Bible tells us that we're going to be accountable. Look here at a few verses um, about accountability. Paul says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That's pretty straightforward and plain, isn't it? But that's not the only place we find that. How about this next one in Hebrews? The author of Hebrews writes, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees it all. Every thought, you know, everything we, we desire and our words and when no one else is looking. And we're gonna, we have to give account for that. And of course, here we have in, again, in 1 Corinthians, this is Paul saying, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's Paul saying, we must all. All of us have to give an account of our lives. Jesus tells a parable about this in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, if you, if you uh, want to use your print Bible or your um, digital Bible, you can do that. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you, it's on page 806. And I've got some helpers. I'm going to ask my helpers to come up here. They're going to help me uh, tell this story. Come on up right now. My three helpers. Matthew 25. Let's get some context. So um, this is what we call the Olivet Discourse. The disciples come to Jesus. Sorry, right here. Good. Okay, now we'll put you over here at the end, and you, big tall guy, come right. Okay, good, we got it. All right, so <laughs> the disciples come to Jesus, and um, they ask him, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They want to know the end time stuff. Okay, how's this all going to go down? Your return and um, your, your kingdom coming in all its fullness. Tell us how it's going to down. How, how are we going to know? And Jesus gives them a couple signs, but basically Jesus' message is, be ready now. Be ready now. You, you can't know exactly when I'm going to come back, but you can be ready for my return. And he tells five stories or parables about being ready. And being ready for Jesus' return means being about his work, his business, his mission now with the resources he's given. So Jesus tells this parable. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 14. Again, it, and it refers to the kingdom of heaven back in verse 1 of chapter 25. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. All right. He's got three servants. And he's going to entrust his wealth to them. All right. To one, he gave five bags of gold. One, two, three, four. I'm giving him five gold coins. All right. And to another, two bags. Two. Two coins. All right. Two coins. And to another, one bag. We're going to give you one coin. Each according to his ability. Now notice, notice that they don't all have the same amount. They're, they're given uh, work to do and money according to their ability, their capacity, their potential. 
We read in other parts of Scripture, to whom much is given, much will be required. And my very favorite passage of all, we who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> all right, back to, the, back to the parable. Okay, verse 15. We're in verse 15 at the end. Then he went on a journey. The man who had... Well, let me do it this way. The man who had received, it's this guy, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants return and settle accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Well, let's see. Let's see what you got here. Oh, look at that. <laughs> 10, 10 gold coins. Well done. <laughs> Very good job. Nice work on that. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. <laughs> you can go. You can go. Good job. Thanks. Okay. <clears throat> then the young lady with two bags of gold also came. Master... He said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Let's see. Sure enough, four gold coins. <clears throat> His master replied, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Oh. <clears throat> you can go. Thank you very much. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what, I, is what belongs to you. Yep, just one coin. His master replied, <laughs> you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> could literally eat the profits with those coins. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget, in Germany, we, we had a Bible study going, and there was a tender-hearted German university student who broke into tears. She started crying 
um, after we read this story, this parable, and I thought, well, that's strange. I mean, uh, what's making her react with such sadness to this parable? And it was this phrase, this phrase, which and Matthew actually uses this exact, I mean, he, he quotes Jesus twice in Matthew saying this, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So why was she crying? She was crying because that felt so unfair to her, so patently unfair, that those who have will get more, and those that don't have hardly anything, if anything at all, that'll be taken away from them. And that made her feel really sad. So what's going on here? Because that doesn't you know, sound like Jesus to be cruel and unfair. What's going on? Well, what makes it kind of hard is that Jesus doesn't give an object to the verb. For whoever has what will be given more what? And they will have an abundance of what? Whoever does not have, it begs the question, <laughs> what? Even what they have will be taken from them. So we have to kind of figure out uh, what, what is Jesus talking about here? And we're, we're very inclined always to jump right to, well, he's talking about faith. He's just talking about faith. All right, let's see what that would look like. For whoever has faith in Jesus will be given more faith, and they will have an abundance of faith. Whoever does not have faith in Jesus, even what faith they have will be taken from them. Hmm, you know, that doesn't sound exactly right to me. <laughs> when I look at that closely. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, really. Now, I'm convinced that faith is absolutely central to this story, but I think there's more going on here. So let's take a little closer look at the difference between the first two servants and the third servant. What's the difference between the servants in the stories? What about the first two servants? Well, they loved and honored the master. How do you know? How do you know they loved and honored the masters? Because they worked hard and maximized the resources that the master had entrusted to them. They delighted in accomplishing his will, his purposes, his work, advancing his work, his mission in the world. And they did it with all their might. They, they advanced it as much as possible for the sake of the master. And if we talk about them in terms of faith, we can say that the genuineness of their faith was evidenced in their wholehearted service. Their faith got to work and produced fruit. They were both eager for their master's return and ready for their master's return because they had been about his work with the resources he had entrusted to them. So saving faith is serving faith. Am I, oh, oh, are you talking work salvation there? Are you putting a load of work salvation? No, not at all. Not at all. We are saved by grace. The basis for salvation is the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross and died in our place for us. That is the only basis, the only foundation, the only source of salvation. And it's, it's God did it when we were still his enemies. It's not because we deserved it, so it's an act of grace. We are saved by grace, but through faith. Faith is the instrument, it's the means, if you will, of us connecting to and identifying with Christ's death in our place. We are saved by grace through faith. 
Where do works come in? Well, works are evidence of the genuineness of faith. Works are the evidence of the genuineness of faith. So we are saved by grace, what Jesus did for us. There is no other way. Through faith, and that faith will be proven genuine and real by the fruit, by its fruit in our lives. And these, these first two servants exemplify that for us. All right, so, so they, they demonstrated their faith, the genuineness of their faith, by being involved in their master's work with all their hearts and employing the resources that their master had entrusted to them. Well, what about the third servant? So he, he proved in two ways, at least two ways, that his faith was not genuine. First of all, he did nothing with the resources that the master had given him. Now, in, in that day, it, it wasn't uncommon for people to hide valuables in the ground, to bury them, all right? That was, uh, that, was, that was a common thing, and yet they did have banks, and they could earn interest. And so the, the master says, why, why didn't you at least do something, the most basic, simple thing, in order to advance uh, my work with the resources that I have given to you? But he did nothing with it. Evidently, as the master said, he was lazy, and he... He, the second thing is, not only did he not do anything with what the master had given him, but he also charged the master with un, being unmerciful and dishonest. He, he calls the master hard, accusing him of being difficult, grasping, kind of being greedy, a grinch. That he benefited from the labor of others basically saying that he's a cheat and a thief. He was, you know, the third servant was kind of saying, hey, listen, there was no win in this for me because if I actually put your money to work uh, and, and I, it was successful, you, you were just going to take the profits and, there, and I would get nothing. And if I, if I put your money to work, but I, I risked it and lost it, then you would punish me. And so there was no good in it, so I did the easiest and, and the most safe thing and I just hid it in the ground. But it, sh it shows that the third servant mischaracterized the master and therefore didn't really know him, didn't really love him, didn't really understand him at all. It's a terrible mischaracterization. There was no spiritual worship in his heart and no spiritual fruit in his life. He is like the guy that we talked about last Sunday who came to the wedding clothes without the right clothes on. And this third sermon ends up in the same place that guy ended up, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, hell, <clears throat> demonstrating he was, he was not a true believer. So let's, let, me, let me propose to you how we can fill in the blanks in what Jesus said. Here's what I think. Whoever has faith to be about Jesus' work with the resources God has entrusted to them will be given more resources and responsibilities, and they will have an abundance of resources and responsibilities in, in heaven, in the kingdom. Whoever does not have faith to be about Jesus' work with the resources God has given, even what they have will be taken from them. I, I think that's the emphasis here is, are we being about Christ's work with his resources. So that's the point, okay? What's the point of this parable? Here is the point of this parable. 
Being ready for Jesus' return means being about his work now with the resources he has given. And in the parable, the resource is money. What are these resources? What are the resources that God has given to us, that, has, uh, that he has entrusted to us that we are to steward? What are these resources? In the parable, it's money. And money is a resource that God has given to us all that we are to steward. It's one of many resources. And uh, we talked a couple Sundays about the fact that you, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, and that's through generosity and giving. And we, we all don't have the same amount of money, right? But we're all called to be generous and to support the work of God in the world through our giving. But what are the other kinds of resources that God has entrusted to us? Money is just one of them. There are many. There's our mind and our intellect. There's our knowledge of the gospel, of God's word, of the truth. There are our abilities and gifts and responsibilities and opportunities. This is Family Discipleship Sunday. And one of the great responsibilities and opportunities for families is, is they're entrusted with these children to disciple uh, and to raise up children in the knowledge of Jesus Jesus Christ. I think of the, of, uh, the fact that it, we're not talking about amounts. The amounts don't matter. It's the attitude. It's the heart. There was an attitude and heart difference between these servants. And God can take a little and use it greatly. I think of the little boy who had just five small barley loaves and two small fish. It didn't seem like much when there were 5,000 hungry bellies to be fed but he gave it, and God, and Jesus used it to feed the 5,000. What are the resources God has entrusted to you? What are the resources God has given to you to steward? He's entrusted them to you to employ in some way, in some form, for his kingdom. Well, what does it mean even to be about Jesus' work? What does that mean? Our, our lives need to be attached to the bigger picture of God's work in the world. Jesus said earlier in this talk in Matthew 24 that he's not going to come back until the gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So what is Jesus doing in the world? What do we, we want to get involved with? Uh, how, how do we connect with the master's work and advance it? Well, what is he doing? He's calling men and women, boys and girls from every nation, tribe, and tongue to come to him in faith and belong to the church, and he's doing it, but it begins right here at home. Right here at home, we bless our neighbors. Have you guys seen this over in the kids' check-in area? All right, we're encouraging our children to actively bless their neighbors, to think about praying for them, to think about listening to them, to think about how can we as a family uh, be hospitable? How can I serve a neighbor? And they're doing it. Every time they do one of these, they throw in a ball. I'm going to, and, and as it grows, they've already had, I take it they've had the candy treat, popcorn party coming. Hey, I'll help you out, kids. How about this? I'm going to put in a few more for you, because I think you're doing a great job. Should I put in more? Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought, I thought you'd say yes. More? Yeah. yeah, okay. Look, we're getting closer to a popcorn party, all right? You don't have to wait to be an adult to, to invest your life in what God's doing in the world because we can bless our neighbors. That's where it begins. Uh, the very next story that Jesus tells after this one is the, is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And, and what distinguishes the sheep from the goats, it's that they, they live out the heart and compassion of Christ. Um, they, they give uh, food and water to the hungry and the needy. They visit those in prison. They take care of the sick. They give clothes to those who need clothes. And, and so it's, it's, not, it's, it's a proclamation of the truth, but it's also demonstrating the love of Christ. We can do this. We're called to do this, to, to, to make sure that our lives are connected to what Jesus is doing in the world. And, and a, a lot of those things that are talked about in the next story, uh, we, we do through our local ministry partners. And there are different ways to connect through our church ministries and our local church ministry partners. And then to get connected to the global work of Jesus, of course, we have our global teammates, and we encourage every family or uh, individual to be connected, partnered with one of our global teammates. That's, that's just some of the ways to, to be a part of, to connect with, to be involved with the work that Jesus is doing in the world. What's the motivation? What motivates us with all of this? Well, we've got plenty of motivation just out of gratitude and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us, that he died in our place and he resurrected triumphant over sin, Satan, and death, and that he offers us forgiveness of sin and a restored relationship with him and a bright and glorious future. All, all because of his goodness and grace. That alone should motivate us to be involved with his work in the world and, and to steward well the, the, the gifts and the abilities and the money and, and the resources that he has entrusted to us. That's plenty of motivation right there to live with focus and intentionality and purpose in the world. But here we have some more because we know that we're going to be held accountable. We know that we're going to be held accountable for what we've done with what he has given to us. Here are a couple motivations related to accountability. First of all, <clears throat> uh, for those who love Jesus and belong to him and whose heart's desire is to, is to be involved in his work and to use the resources he's given, that we will have to give an account. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And sometimes we, we compare judgment to punishment, judgment to condemnation. And in the case of the third servant, that's true. But the, the first two servants gave, they had to be, give an account too, and they were judged as well. But that, that, that wasn't a judgment of punishment, of condemnation. It was a judgment of reward. Kind of like this, check out this picture. This is coming up, right? At, we have the county fair in Kosciuszko. And, uh, and young people, often it's young people, they work hard all year long raising these animals and feeding them and caring for them. And kind of the proof's in the pudding, right? If they worked hard, uh, they get to show their animals and they get rewarded. They get a prize, right? There's, it's, it's not condemnation or punishment. It's reward and there's celebration related to it. And of course, then he can sell that cow or steer or whatever it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
for a lot of money, man. I'm amazed at how much money those things go for. All right. And so that's, that's true for us too, that there will be a reward. And that's motivation. Um, but, but at the heart of that reward is, let's check out this next picture. It's this wonderful statement that uh, the master makes, well done, to be, to be commended by Jesus. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Enter into the fullness of my joy. And there is no thing in earth that compares to that. And so, so what's offered is beyond our comprehension and imagination, the, the goodness of Jesus Christ and being welcomed into his kingdom. That should motivate us. That, that's, that's why sometimes, like last week, the picture is of a wedding, to be united in joy, the joy of that relationship forever and ever. That's plenty of motivation. So... How can this story shape our lives? Our, the title of our sermon series is Stories That Shape Our Lives. So, so how can this story shape our lives? Well, I, th- I think it's very helpful for me to be reminded that I'm going to be held accountable for how I involved my life with what Jesus is doing in the world and, and how I stewarded the resources that he entrusted to me. And, and to know that is motivation, to, t- to think about it, to be sober about it, but also to be joyful in hope, because this isn't a heavy burden. This, this really isn't, this isn't meant to be a weight, because what's really happening here? What's happening here is that Jesus has invited us to be a part of what he is doing in the world, and that's the most important thing that's happening is what Jesus is doing in the world, and he has entrusted us with resources to be a part of it. One of those resources is the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower it. And what he's looking for is a willing heart, a willing heart to enter in to what Jesus is doing in the world for his glory and for our good and ultimately happiness beyond what we can imagine, infinite happiness in the presence of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. If we're going to be held accountable at the end of time, my great uh, suggestion is that that we learn to be accountable now. Because if, if if we're doing this now, we, know, we can be confident that we'll be ready. So uh, I, I think of this picture, run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as you get the prize. That's the motivation. But you know, I don't do running very well, period. But on my own, really not. I, I need someone else. Who's your someone else? Who's your someone else uh, who, who, who knows your heart and can ask you about, are, are you living up to your identity in Jesus? Are you using the resources that he's entrusted to you uh, f- for what he's doing in the world? H- how are you doing that? And how's it going? Who's your person? Whether it's a, a friend or a person in, one of, in a life group or in an adult Bible fellowship, or it doesn't even have to be in this church, but who, do you have any accountability now? Because as we practice this now, it gives us confidence uh, when, that when we stand before Jesus someday, uh, we can give account of how we've lived our lives. Again, 
we recognize that the basis of our hope is what Jesus did for us. Through faith, we're connected with it. But it's, it's our lives that demonstrate the genuineness of that faith. Will we enter in? That's the question. Let's stand together. We started singing about God's goodness. And we want to end singing about God's goodness because that's what he's offering us, is to, is to enter into the fullness of his goodness and joy. But, but we do that as we are about his work, his business, his mission in the world now with the resources that he's entrusted to us. Let's sing together.
are good and you are worthy of everything our heart soul strength and mind you've redeemed us you've purchased us you've made us your own the only reasonable response to that is to is to give our lives as an offering of worship and thanks to you help us lord not to live in fear of you the unhealthy fear but a, a healthy honor and and love and respect and desiring your glory because of it that, that we that we would be about your business your work your mission in the world with the resources that you've given to us may we help each other to live with joy and confidence as we look forward to your return and all god's people said amen, amen. before you go i need to remind you of a couple things it's family discipleship sunday which means families you can well anybody Everybody, everybody's welcome to go over to the lawn where there are hot dogs and popsicles and yard games and hang out and have a good time. <laughs> after this service and after the next service. So you are welcome to do that. There's just some fun with families. It's a beautiful day for it. That's one thing. Uh, the next thing is that we have a Ministry Matters meeting coming up on June 12th. That's Sunday, two weeks from now. 
at 4.30 in the afternoon, and we're going to be looking back at ministry and looking forward at ministry opportunities, and it's going to be a great time of celebration uh, for what God is doing, how this church and how people in this church are, are being about uh, Christ's work and business in the world and using resources for him. Speaking of resources, we're going to talk about resources because we have to vote on the budget. And so uh, the budget will be part of um, that Ministry Matters meeting. And uh, copies of the budget, if you want, are available at the Welcome Center. And on Wednesday, June 1st at noon and at 7 p.m., there will be a Q&A times if you want to come and ask questions related to the budget. Have a great day in the Lord. You are sent. <clears throat>